Welcome back to Alec Across the States. I'm Dan Reynolds, your host. Today we have an exciting conversation for you on drug importation. So obviously we brought back the dynamic duo of Anna Parsons and Brooklyn Roberts. Anna is our policy coordinator in the Center for Innovation. Thanks so much for sitting down with me. Glad to be here. And also Brooklyn Roberts is the ALEC Director of the Health and Human Services Task Force. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, and coming back, uh, following up on his earlier great conversation, uh, we have Bob Grayboys, who's the Senior Research Fellow at Mercatus. And one thing I just learned before we started this podcast is he's actually, in a former life, the uh, he was an international trade and finance economist, which... Uh, since he's such an expert in healthcare at Mercatus, those two coming together makes today's topic for you really interesting because today we're talking about drug importation and what that means and what that looks like. Brooklyn is uh, such an expert on this topic and works with it every day in the States. So Brooklyn, I want you to go ahead and uh, kick it off and uh, you know, let us know what's going on with it. Um, Alec has a, a longstanding position against uh, importing foreign pharmaceuticals. Uh, it is kind of seen now as a quick fix for lowering drug prices. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of legislators across the country who are who are buying into this. And I wanted to talk about this with Bob today because he has a really interesting take on why um, importing foreign drugs is, is not going to lower drug prices like, um, like it's kind of been billed to do. So... Again, I'm, I'm in a previous life. I focused on international trade. I am a devout free trader, and something about it always bothered me with with the idea of drug imports. I've never really favored it. I had a sense that it was not a way we would lower prices. So, for instance, uh, it's it's long been said. Why don't we just allow? Canadians to sell drugs to us. Yeah, I mean, and, the, the argument's a competitive one, like you said, a free trade. Mm-hmm, so people right. would it's, say... It sounds like yeah, that, exactly. but it isn't. Uh, so the idea was, okay, so Canadians pay less for prescription drugs than we do in general. Um, there's some caveats to that statement, but let's say as a generality, you could say that. And the idea was, well, if they sell it to us, our prices will drop there. I've always thought, and I'm and I've always thought strongly that, no, actually what would happen is you open open up the U.S. to imported drugs from Canada. Uh, Canada's drug prices will rise to American levels by sometime that afternoon. And um, Canadians, well, they can do a lot of things. Their governments, since you know, their governments are deeply involved in, in their health care, can say, well, then we're not buying the drugs anymore, and Canadians will just do without them, which for quite a few drugs, that is what happens. But anyway, I always thought, so why is it that this bothers me when in general I'm a free trader? And then it kind of hit me as I was writing about it this year. It's a very different situation. So let's, let's go to something like steel where clearly the um, the steel interests in the United States were very much opposed to allowing Japanese, Korean steel to be sold into the U.S. some decades ago. And they were pretty effective at, impo- at keeping tariffs on it, keeping it out. Eventually, when you try to keep things out by means of tariffs, eventually the wall falls, and then it's very painful. But what you had there was an American firm, say U.S. Steel, 
competing with a Japanese firm. And they're two separate entities. They are competitors. The problem with drug imports is you're not dealing on the two sides of the border with competitors. What you're dealing with is, say, Pfizer or AstraZeneca is selling drugs in the U.S. for one price, and they're selling it in Canada for, let's say, a lower price. And if somehow you you open up that, they can do that because there is no cross-border trade to speak of. If you open it up, the what the economists call the law of one price begins to prevail, and it's going to find its uh, level. In this case, Canada is a very small country. Uh, the U.S. is a very big country, so immediately you realize Canada is not going to have that much of an effect on it. However, going beyond that, I, I shared these thoughts with my George Mason University and Mercatus colleague, Don Boudreau, who is the world's single strongest free trade advocate. And you know, Don, Don pens a letter to the editor every day uh, criticizing the whole idea of tariffs and quotas and, and all of that. So I, so I showed it to Don and said, what do you think of this? And, and I had a few bells and whistles in the article I'd written. He said, I, I agree with you, and let me think about it. He said, here's the reason. What you're talking about here is not free trade. What you're talking about here is diluting the value of intellectual property rights that have been granted under the patents that uh, a drug manufacturer uh, receives. So the peculiar nature of drug development is most of your costs are upfront. You spend a fortune in the early years of development, developing it, testing it, going to the FDA, legal expenditures, etc. And you spend maybe two and a half billion dollars to get yourself through the FDA. And after perhaps a 15-year period, you come out, you have a patent for a very short time because most likely you got the patent early on in that process. The clock started ticking, and by the time you actually hit market 15 years into the process, there aren't very many years left on your patent. You have that very short window to earn back that $2.5 billion that you put into developing the thing. And under that, the patent system, essentially the government grants you a temporary monopoly on that product. Now, that means you can, you can sell at above marginal cost to different customers. And so Don and I discussed it. And really implicitly, there's an understanding, if I want to charge the U.S. this much, high up, and Canada less because market conditions are different in the two countries, then I can do that. And if you say, no, we are changing the rules of the game so that we're effectively causing you to charge the same in both countries, what you've done uh, is that you've, you've diminished the value of that patent right. You have also, you've diminished the value of the right of contract. There's... There's an equivalent proposition out there that the administration is, uh, is pushing that would sort of take this beyond one country and take it to multiple countries and say that we, on a sort of a most favored nation status, that Medicare will only pay the average of what 
is charged in Canada and Britain and France and Sweden and a bunch of other countries. It would be an international price index. So I went to a uh, White House conference, and what I said there was, uh, and I obviously, I planned my metaphor. I said, "What you're you're not talking about competitors. If it's Pfizer selling a drug in all of these countries now." strategically, they're going to have to think when they set their price in France, how is this going to affect the American price? So I said, basically, to understand it, imagine if New York City passed a regulation that said uh, the Trump Hotel in New York City could only charge for a room the average of what they charge in Las Vegas, Miami, and Washington, D.C. I looked it up on Expedia. The New York price is about $650. The prices in the other three were somewhere, I think, in the order of $175. You would demolish the business model. At that point, the New York hotel couldn't make it, or they'd have to raise the prices of the other three, at which point they couldn't make it. And the whole thing becomes a big pricing mess. And eventually you probably have to sell it off and it might even just break the organization. Uh, a, a, you know, perhaps not that particular organization, but when you, when you force them in different locations to charge the same thing, you are severely limiting contractual rights and you set up perverse incentives. So I don't, I don't actually think either of these ideas would work. I don't think they, either idea would bring prices down in the U.S. It would interfere with the profitability of drugs. It would diminish the, prof, the, the potential profits from developing a new drug. Uh, it, it probably would do no favors to the drug companies or to the American public or to the public in those other countries. And it's often asked, I'm often asked at that point, well, aren't they kind of free riding on, on us? And yes, they are. Um, in the same way that when you fly on an airplane and you pay $800 for a ticket and the guy next to you who paid 400 in a way you could say he's kind of maybe free riding on you, but it's actually a better situation for you and the guy next to you and the airline uh, because you really, if, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be able to fill the seats. And there's an equivalent problem in drugs. Um, uh, one of the problems, too, is that a lot of these countries, uh, you know, have price caps and price fixing. Yes. So you're essentially importing other countries' price controls Correct. When, when you try to... Correct. And I wish I understood it better. I have been told by some who understand the laws of these things that... We also have uh, sort of treaty obligations that say, well, we're not going to interfere with other countries' price controls. So if you try to do this, and if you try to say, okay, well, uh, if a company says we cannot make a profit, we will go bankrupt if we try to charge the prices here that we're charging in these other countries. Um they they do not necessarily have the leeway to say, so we're going to have to charge more in France and Canada, whatever, because they may be running up against these obligations again. For me, that's secondhand information. I've been told that uh, I need to look into it further. But but yes, you are dealing dealing with uh, with countries' price controls. And 
again, in the case of a lot of these countries, in the case of Canada and Britain and others, if you try to charge them American prices, their national agencies will say, we're just not buying it. Our, our people here will go without the drugs. And they're willing to do that. I don't want the U.S. to be willing to do that. So, so Bob, uh, in Brooklyn and Anna as well, um, what do legislators need to remember when maybe people are coming at them with arguments saying, yes, we need to open up drug importation? What's the one thing you got to say? No. It ain't going to work. <laughs> it, it's not likely to work. Um, again, and, and furthermore, if you try, you're going to upend a lot of very good things. We benefit in this country from having new and innovative drugs. Uh, I don't want to set up a situation where we, we make it impossible for companies to actually foresee a profit in doing that because they won't do it. You know, some years ago we, we in essence did that, uh, through courts with liability actions against vaccine makers. And we very came very close to killing off the vaccine industry in the U S which would be a terrible thing. Um, so then they passed a law to rectify that and give some uh, shelter from that problem. But if you do this, you're going to set into motion very likely the same sort of uh, disincentives to develop new drugs, to market them here, to sell them here. So, Bob, I have one more question for you. Sure. Um, one common argument I hear is that insulin prices are so high in America and we desperately need to lower them, as that's one of the most common um, things that people suffer from is, you know, diabetes. Um, why is is the case of insulin um, going to work better for drug importation? Or is there a particular reason why this drug is um, priced so high in America? Um, could we lower it with importation? Is there any chance of that? I don't know enough about it to know to... to be able to give an answer. Happy to look into it for you, and we can we can talk later. I can actually hop in on that. Um, you cannot import insulin um, because it has to be refrigerated. So by the time you add um, you add in the cost of shipping something um, in a temperature controlled environment, you are not getting the product any cheaper than you would if you bought it in America. Yeah, and that's actually. And yet another criticism for the idea of imports in a lot of situations that both physically getting them here because of those there's delicate conditions, um, but also the quality control, trying to assure that the drugs made elsewhere are going to meet up to U.S. standards and not bring in safety problems. Uh, at least there is a strong view out there that uh, that's really not feasible. Um, drugs are strange things. I have, a, I have a fiercely, fiercely libertarian friend and colleague who he's out on the libertarian end that says, you know, patents are basically government monopolies and, and something close to theft and we should just get rid of the patent system. Except that he'll say, except for drugs, you can't have the drug industry. You can't have drug development because of that weird nature that all the costs are up front you will never get new things developed if you tamper with intellectual property rights for drugs um but but again certifying the safety is a serious problem i don't i guess if i want to take the other side i will say we do import an awful lot of food and somehow it ends up being 
fairly safe. Uh, so I guess my question to people who care about these topics, who know a lot more than I do about the actual physical properties of it, is, is it that much harder to guarantee the safety of drugs than it is food? I gather it is. I'm not sure why that's the case, but uh, that, that's the impression I have. I think it's um, it's a matter of risk too. Um, eating, you know, bad food um, is different than taking a pill that has either no active ingredient in it when it's something life threatening that you need, or um, maybe has fentanyl or is cut with something else. Um, mm-hmm. The the consequences are and risks there are a lot worse than um, maybe having a stomach ache. So right. So so is the real pathway forward to lowering drug prices, reforming the approval process? I mean, you talk uh, a little bit, I think, in the the last podcast about the EU model Mm -hmm. uh, that we recorded with you and the competitive approval process. It kind of seems like what we've been talking about here when you look at Canada, um, that people use that as a use case that seems to be an apples and oranges argument. I mean, Canada and America have very different economy when it comes to health care and health products and health services. Um, so what can state legislators wrap their mind around when it comes to uh, creating some more efficiency in the approval processes? Well, I tend to think, I, I think one of the most more valuable things I do in life is tell people not to chase ideas that aren't going to work. Uh, and if I, if I persuade someone not to you know, pursue an idea that it's either going to be ineffective or actually damning, um, destructive, um, then I think I've done my job if I do that. And, and, and I do agree that the real key to bringing drug prices down is uh, on the supply side, not the demand side, not in worrying about how much we pay for this and that, but rather making, making the underlying price of production and development uh, cheaper. Uh, I think you. I think we'll get much farther. I don't think you can get terribly far without doing that. You asked what state legislators uh, should keep in mind, and uh, you know, importation is not a new concept. Um, it, there have been states that have have tried Minnesota specifically. I think it was back in two thousand six. Set up their program, and what they found was. Um, no one used it, um, or very few people used it. And when you look at the cost, um, the bureaucratic cost of setting up this program and and having people monitor it, the law enforcement costs of ensuring the safety of the drugs, it it, it didn't work. Um, and it was a lot easier for people to go down the road to their local pharmacy than to wait, you know, two weeks for our drugs to ship from. Canada um, or, or whatever country uh, they were ordering from, so it's it's not it's not a new concept. It's been tried, um, and they eventually shut theirs down just because no one was using it. Um, I mean, I, I think that brings us to the the end of our segment today. We had a really great conversation about drug importation and the reality of it, and uh, understanding how the Canadian model doesn't fit with an American model because we're completely disparate, and it's very much an apples oranges situation. And uh, while people might be trying to look at that as a solution, really the solution, at least it sounds like that we kind of came to at the table here. Wow, guys, good job! Is to focus in on. Uh, making more efficiency into the approval process, like you said, a supply side approach, which really does lower costs for everyone and provide more innovation. And if I could make one more point, please. Another another problem people are thinking of 
drug prices have gotten higher. And part of the reason is drugs today, the ones that are coming on stream now, tend to be expensive drugs designed for very small populations. It used to be that what you did was you designed a pill that 100 million people were going to use, and you'd sell an awful lot of pills. You didn't have to charge much. Now... It's more uh, rare disease. It's rare yeah. disease. I wrote an article not long ago about snake bite in um, a little girl in Indiana got bitten by a snake, and ultimately the family got a bill for $165,000 for the helicopter and the drugs and the anti-venom. NPR didn't tell you till about the last moment of the thing. Oh, and by the way, their insurance paid every penny of it. So, so, but, and for the rest of it, you're thinking of this tragically, yeah, these tragic, people who have been tragic family, a, but it's, no, they pay for bill. everything. Yeah. But I went through the economics of it. And, and the fact is that, Anti-venom has been around for 15 years. It's been used 50,000 times, I think, was it. And I don't know what it cost them to get it through the FDA, but if it cost them $2.5 billion and it, if you only had 50,000 users over time, it's going to be very expensive unless you don't want drugs that we only use a few times. Um you know, I gave in that example, in that same article, uh, I think the family pay or the insurer ended up paying close to $60,000 for the helicopter ride. And I noted an example, uh, um, actress uh, um, uh, Miranda Richardson, uh, Liam Neeson's wife, who was killed in a skiing accident in Canada, might have been saved by uh, an air ambulance. And they, Quebec just decided that's too expensive. We're not going to spend that much. So they didn't get hit with a surprise bill for an expensive helicopter. On the other hand, she was dead. And uh, sometimes you have to make those choices. Yeah. You leave us with uh, some great thoughts there, mm -hmm. Bob. I, uh, what, what was the name of uh, your paper again? Was it, on, it was on snake bites. What was it called? Oh, let's see. If you Google my last name and snake bite, it'll come up. But I think I called it. When saving a child's life for free is bad news. Gotcha. Well, we're definitely going to link to that in the show notes. So uh, listeners, please uh, go ahead and check that out. Uh, but once again, Bob, thanks so much for hopping on our podcast here. Uh, and also Brooklyn Roberts and Anna Parsons. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, yeah. Dan. Once again, this is uh, Dan Reynolds with Alec Across the States. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the premier state-focused podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Alex States, and check us out online at alec.org. All individuals on this show do not speak for the American Legislative Exchange Council and are representing their own individual opinions.